Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Rhythms of Renewal, training stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm. This is Gabe, and we are so glad that you're part of the Rhythms for Life podcast today. And we are going to have a fun conversation with John Acuff. He's somebody who's not only hilarious, but also brings great insight in how we think well. And that's something I care a lot about. As Rebecca and I have talked about on even a recent podcast, our organization, Q Ideas, host events where we want people to think well, but we don't want to overthink. And that's what John Acuffs is going to talk about in our pursuit of creativity and our pursuit to do things well and be productive. Sometimes we overthink and we want to be careful about that. So he's going to dig into that with us. Before we go to that conversation, though, I want to remind you two things. We recently talked about past episode, we talked about cultural issues. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to Rebecca and I talking about some of the big topics and conversations that we think are critical for people, any person, but people of faith in particular, to take time to think through well, because they affect all of us. And on April 22nd and 23rd, annually, we do this event. It's two days, and we want to invite you as part of our Rhythms for Life community to participate and to participate at a discounted rate. So if you go to qideas.org slash culture summit and you use the code RFL for Rhythms for Life, use the code RFL, you'll get 20% off a virtual pass, or you can come join us in person. We still have a few seats available in person, but either way, you can get 20% off. The point is, over these two days, even if you can't attend the entire two days, you're going to get access to this for multiple weeks afterwards so that you can go back and hear the 35-plus different talks, conversations, and panels around the issues that we know are affecting all of our lives. And that relates to how lockdowns have affected us and our emotional health, our mental health. We're going to talk about the suicide trend that's happening in the next generation. We're also going to talk about a lot of hopeful topics, and we're going to talk also about the way forward. What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean for Christians to be faithful and to be smart and to approach all kinds of difficult issues with love and kindness? Um, And so take advantage of that. Secondly, I know there's still some of you who are thinking through this. You're trying to work it out. Thanks for um, all the efforts I know it takes to come to something like a marriage event, because most of the time you're taking care of kids, you're having to get childcare, it's complicated, but there's still a few spots remaining for the Franklin Marriage Retreat. That's happening May 6th and 7th, and that'll be in Franklin, Tennessee, and we'd love to have you come. You can learn more about that at rebeccalions.com slash MP retreat. So check that out. All right, without further ado, New York Times bestselling author, John Acuff. His new book is called Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. And let's welcome him in to this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks for having me today. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're so glad that you can weigh in on some things that I deal with like overthinking. Sure, you this and is, everybody. <laughs> it and 100% like it. of all the people. <laughs> well, so many of the people that are part of this audience have told us that one of their favorite rhythms, the one that comes most easiest for them besides rest, restore, and connect is the create rhythm. And that tends to be the place where we do a lot of our work. We think about our vocation. We're trying to think about success, career, managing it all. And You've come along and kind of discovered a little bit of a secret about how people ought to put into their life 
a, a way of thinking that might be different than what's coming naturally. So let's just let the cat out of the bag early and and help us see that. Yeah, what was surprising about the research, because the the researcher that I work with, Mike Peasley, he and I asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking. 99.5% of people said yes. And this was before 2020. 2020 was catnip for overthinking. If you weren't before, you are now. Yeah. And so the surprising thing to me is how few people know that they have the permission and the power to choose what they think. Most people think a thought is something you have not something you hone. So even my most type A friends who are really successful, who lay out their clothes the night before they go to the gym because they know it'll ensure they do, don't pick the five soundtracks they want playing in a difficult meeting. Beforehand, they don't say, hey, I've got this stressful negotiation. I'm going to think these three thoughts on repeat because I know my thoughts lead to my actions, lead to my results. Mm -hmm. And so once you realize you get to change the way you think, once you realize that you can change the way you think, it does lead to new actions. It does lead to new results. And it's really, really fun. Okay. Okay, go. We're going to fight on who gets asked the next question, but... All right. So backstory. What what made you want to write a book on overthinking? Because you found yourself doing that. And if you did, when primarily was that, would it take over? Um, the when is always, um, okay. always. And the big, the big thing for me was um, I'd read a lot about overthinking and there's a lot of great books about it, but a lot of them say, stop it, stop it, stop it. And that's never helpful advice for an overthinker because you just don't go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Why don't I just do that? You're so right. And my thing was, my premise for this book is, why would I ever turn off this amazing thinking machine? I'm so good at overthinking. What if I just fed it with good thoughts? Mm. What if I fed it with thoughts that push me forward, not pull me back? I'm amazing at that. Why don't I just change the soundtrack? So the change for me was 2008, which is where I first intersected with you guys in Atlanta. I had a blog. I, was, I had a day job. I was just kind of had reached a ceiling in my career. There was nowhere else to go. And I started to write this blog, and I got asked to speak in an event. And I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know you got paid for that. I didn't know how to do it. But I had one thought, one new soundtrack that said, I think I can do this. Mm-hmm. And that's all I had. And that thought, as I fed it with actions and it turned into results, changed my entire life. It's how I hit the New York Times bestsellers list. It's why I live in Nashville. It's it's why I went on this adventure. So for me, that worked so well. And then I started to get curious and say, would it help other people? Every time I write a book, I look for three things. I look for a personal connection. Am I deeply connected to the content? Because you know how it is. You're going to talk about it for years. Yeah. Number two, I look for a need. Do people actually need it? And number three, I look in the marketplace and say, okay, is there a hole for me in the marketplace? And if I can do that Venn diagram and I feel like, wow, I can do that thing. Because say you have an amazing need, an amazing market, but no personal connection, you just built yourself a new day job. And that's right. not going to sustain you. Let's say you have tremendous passion. You love it. And there's nobody serving it in the market, but nobody needs it. That's a hobby. Like, I love that you're into albino ferret ownership, but nobody has a massive <laughs> need for that. So once I have those three pieces, then I have what I need to go, let me come up with the ideas and let me test them with thousands of people and then eventually put them into a book. Yeah. Okay. I still have more questions. And then Gabe, it's your turn. So in the overthinking, I mean, if even with the Enneagram, like the, the type five is the analyst. So if you're a four-wing five, you are feeling, and then you're thinking, and then you're thinking about what you're feeling and feeling. So what- We have to talk about the Enneagram. So the only reason I ask is because are there some personalities that are more prone to think? And then is it ruminating or is it just they have just a billion ideas or they're just thinking the same thing over and over and I imagine OCD. there's some personalities that are more prone to it, but when the research, like, when I ask 10,000 people and 99.5 say they all do, then I think everybody has their own version of overthinking. Sure. The difference between overthinking and, say, being prepared or analyzing um, is that 
Overthinking always leads to overthinking. Being prepared leads to action. If the work you're doing overthinking doesn't create a thing, as your word said, if it doesn't lead to action, it's overthinking. And my definition of overthinking is when what you think gets in the way of what you want. Like mm-hmm. take the stat, 81% of Americans, according to the New York Times, want to write a book. That's 81%. It's one of our biggest goals in America. Every year, less than 1% do. And that's a staggering gap. 81 say they want to, 1% do. Overthinking gets in the way of the work we want to create, the things we want to do, the way we want to live. Um, and so I think it, I think there's some personalities that might gravitate toward it more easily, but I think on some level, we all have the ability to think more thoughts than are helpful to create the action we're trying to create. Yeah. All right. So I was 18 and I remember somebody handed me the book, The Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale. And, sure. and it helped me start to realize the connections between our thoughts and the way we would start to live our lives. And it turned on this whole new world of how to imagine my future, how to start to take action towards the dreams, the goals, the desires that I have. Um, as you were writing this, I mean, help our audience even understand any of these connections you've learned, even from a neuroscience perspective of how powerful our thoughts are. Well, we have the the benefit of growing up in the age of neuroplasticity. Like our parents' generation didn't know that you could change the shape of your brain. Like their parents' generation thought that cigarettes were good for smoking during Tour de France because the nicotine opened up capillaries in your lungs. So like every generation gets to learn something new. So we know neuroplasticity, we know neurogenesis, that your brain changes, it grows. And so it's really fun to know, okay, it's not just about positive thinking. There's science involved, there's change involved. The positive thinking side of it, I'm pretty jaded. I'm a sarcastic person. I grew up with serenity now and I'm good enough and smart enough to gun at people like me. So I didn't even want to explore positive thinking. But what happened was all these people I looked at that were really successful, if you talk to them kind of off camera backstage, they'd go, yeah, I got a pep talk I give myself. Or yeah, I got a few words I tell myself. I got some affirmations. I got some declarations. And I started to see that thread. So I really wanted to study it. So I tested it with Zig Ziglar's affirmations. I interviewed Tom Ziglar about positive thinking um, because I'm not somebody, I I like action. I don't like when somebody goes, the universe provides for you. The universe doesn't care about John Acuff. Like the universe is so busy being the universe. It very rarely is like, well, hold on a second. Let me stop things. Really take, like, I didn't want it to be mushy positive thinking. I wanted to say positive thinking has value. Here's how to apply it. Here's what's going to happen when you do. And so that's what was really fun for me to kind of explore and go, okay, it does help. So we we tested a set of positive affirmations that we called the new anthem. And the people reduced their overthinking. They increased their hope. They increased their productivity. They worked nine days more per month on their goal than people who had negative thinking. Wow. So if I said to you, wow, you want to write a book, you want to start a business, you want to have a family, like well, what you think matters, and here's why it matters. That's what was really fun to me. Mm. All right, so take us down the journey of getting into this new way of thinking and not overthinking. What what are some of the first steps that somebody needs to take yeah. to stop overthinking? Well, I love that you guys have two R's in what you talk about, because I, I have a couple R's too. So <laughs> I'm some, a fan of R's. Yeah, Rhythms, I like it. Rebecca. I like it. Me, you, and Pirates. We Rose love is my middle um, name. Lots of R's. So... The first thing I'd say to somebody is the the core of the book is three things. You retire broken soundtracks, you replace them with new ones, and you repeat the new ones so often they become as automatic as the old ones. The reason a stay-at-home mom who's three minutes late to the car ride pickup line 
can feel like an instant failure if she's listened to that soundtrack a thousand times. It plays automatically. And it removes that she got up the kids early, she made lunches, she worked a full day at a job. It removes all that because it's so loud. So you have to retire that. So the first thing you do is find these big, loud soundtracks and you ask them three questions. Is it true? Is this thing I'm telling myself, is the story I'm telling myself about myself, which is the story you'll hear more than any other story in your life, is it true? Second question, is it helpful? Does it move me forward or does it pull me back? And number three, is it kind? Is it kind to myself? If I told a friend this story, would they still want to be my friend? And so what I like to do is take this really fuzzy topic of thinking and go, no, 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 no. Here's practical things you can do. My job is to put handles on ideas. We have enough ideas in the world. We don't have handles to pick them up and bring them into our lives. So that's what I try to do. So it's three R's. It's three questions. It's things you can actually do on a Tuesday or a Thursday that apply to your life. And why do people listen to these soundtracks over and over that feed a negativity and and feed shame like why why do we gravitate towards that versus the positive narrative well there's a couple reasons one i kind of joked your brain's kind of a jerk your brain leans the negative they there's a study that they did and i put it in the book there's not even an opposite word for the word trauma in the english language and what i mean by that is there's not a word that symbolizes a thing that catches you in joy three years later in the grocery store and knocks you over but trauma does that constantly like that's how powerful it is and so then you had cognitive bias you know you, we tend our brains tend to believe what we already believe and and negativity will find you you don't have to look for it like fear comes free, faith takes work. Like negativity is going yeah, to find a great, you. Great statement. And so that's part of why it happens. Like it happens naturally and you have to actively work on it and actively kind of say, okay, I'm going to spend time for this. And a lot of times people go, well, I tried it. It didn't work for me. And I'll go, well, you thought this negative thought for 10 years, you gave yourself 10 minutes to learn the new one. Of course, it's like a diet. If you gave yourself 10 years to put on the weight, why would you measure 10 days as success or failure? Like we've got to be more gracious to ourselves. We've got to take more time. And that lead to my question because you're, you're talking about taking something away, replacing it, and then doing it for so long that it literally is the one you hear. I mean, what kind of time frame are we talking about? It depends on it depends on how um, tenacious the soundtrack is. I mean, it depends if you know is this something that somebody told you when you were 13 and you believe it's true. You know, I I spoke at a YMCA event um, um, in Indianapolis and I went to the YMCA in Brentwood, Tennessee, right near our house. And one of the volunteers there is a guy named Judd. He's 82 years old, and he volunteers in the skate park. Like, he volunteers on the half pipe. And they told me a story that one morning, a 13-year-old boy came to skate and told Judd, I just found out my parents are getting divorced, and it's my thought. And Judd was able to speak truth into that, because that's when a soundtrack was being born. That 13-year-old was going to touch that soundtrack over and over and over and over again. And then be a 28-year-old man who had spent 15 years listening to that on replay. Sure. Um, and instead, Judd was able to go, no, it's it's not your fault. So like if you were, you know, if we're talking about a soundtrack that you've been carrying around for 15 years, it's going to take time. It's sure. going to take, you know, you being deliberate. But there's some creative, fun ways to learn new soundtracks and learn how to believe them. Yeah. And I would say, give us some of those. And then also the ability to endure in that. Because I do think there is there is content out there and there are people definitely proactively taking steps to try to rewrite that narrative, to retrain the brain. The problem is the endurance to do that as long as it requires based on how long that they've carried that, that narrative. And I think I don't know. I I feel this personally. I think this last 18 months has done this for a lot of people, like the ability to endure 
in a new way, a new way to persevere, to keep going? What encouragement would you give that person who's like, okay, I'm in, I want this, I'm going to do this. But it's like a diet, right? Like you're gonna, you're all in, and yeah. then like a weekend, and you're kind of like, I don't, I can't keep doing this. This is, you almost forget, you almost forget what got you there to yeah. try it, to start it. You need, yeah. you need to be reminded so constantly of the vision of it. But what would you say to that person's like, I'm in, I want this, but I'm not sure how long I can keep it going. Well, there, there's a number of things I'd say. I mean, the biggest thing I'd say is make it as easy as possible. Like be easy on yourself. So a new thought, a new soundtrack, a true soundtrack, write it down on a note, put it by your laptop. Like for me, with writing this book, so two or three years ago, my wife said, hey, um, you're a jerk for the two years when you write a book, and then you're a jerk for the two years when you sell it. And so that like, that ain't it, dude. That's like, four we, whole years. That's four whole years. Like That can't be our life. Um, and she was right. It was such a stressful, difficult process. So I decided my soundtrack for writing this book was going to be light and easy. I put that on a post-it note. I told everybody I talked to, light and easy, light and easy, because that's when I that's why I thought, okay, I'm gonna make this process light and easy. And then I just found different ways to enforce that. So mm-hmm. like this might sound silly, but I was at Fleet Feet, a local running store, and they had a pair of bright green Nikes. They were built to take four seconds off of the world record marathon time. They're carbon fiber plate. They look ridiculous. They look like what an elf, like a Keebler <laughs> elf would wear if that he was also in the movie Tron. Like they're insane. <laughs> And they were the lightest thing I've ever felt in my life. And so I bought those and said, every time I write this book, I'm going to change into those shoes. Like I'm pulling a weirdo Mr. Rogers move and I'm going to tell my brain, hey, it's writing time. It's writing time. I've never run in them. I still own them. My hope is I'll do a half marathon in them this fall. But that was another thing. So I tell people like, get creative. Like one of the chapters is how do you make a soundtrack stick with a symbol? Like, how do you get a symbol and tie it to? Like, think about this. The reason the Lance Armstrong bracelet worked was that it was a really smart symbol. One, it was personal. You never met somebody that said, oh, I wear this because I hate cancer the noun. I hate psoriasis too. I got a psoriasis necklace. Like, it was always personal. It was my mom had cancer. My uncle had cancer. Number two, it was visible. It was bright. Nike didn't make it gray. They made it bright yellow on purpose. Number three, it was simple. It wasn't complicated. Nobody was like, whoa, 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 go back on the instructions. Like, I put the arm part and the whole part. Like, I'm a... So there's a million different ways that you can make the symbol and make a soundtrack stick. And so that's what I tell people is get creative, have fun with it, be patient with yourself. And then you mentioned resilience and kind of great over the last year. What I, what I like to tell people is a soundtrack can be a lyric. It can be a tagline. It could be just do it from Nike. It can be a question. And a question I ask people to generate resilience is, who are you doing this very difficult job? for. Hmm. Who are you doing this very difficult job for? Because one, it admits it's difficult. It has been a difficult year. And two, it connects you back to a person. Because what I've learned is the bigger the purpose, the bigger your resilience. Yeah. And so I asked a room full of CEOs for hospitals that question. And one said, you know, I do this job, which is difficult because a hospital CEO doesn't get to say it's not brain surgery. It's not life or death. It is both of those things. And she said, I do it for the donor walk. And she said, when somebody donates an organ, we all line the halls, the doctors, the administrators, the nurses, and we cheer as they're wheeled to surgery. So I do my difficult job for the donor walk. Mm. So that's what I'd say. If somebody said to me, hey, I'm struggling with resilience, I'd go, well, let's figure out some soundtracks. Is it a question? Is it a song lyric? Is it a thought? How do we kind of fortify your resilience with some things that are going to keep you going? Yeah, it's good. Hey friends, as we look ahead to the hopefulness of spring, I want to share with you about some children beginning their education in the African nation of Rwanda. Rwanda is part of my story, and through the years, you may have heard me talk about my visit there with an organization called Africa New Life. Each year, Africa New Life helps 40 preschool children through the support of people like us. 
They provide these children with safe childcare and a daily rhythm while their mothers are learning new employable skills during the day. These young ones with hardworking but struggling mothers have room to play, learn, and grow in their daycare setting. We know how important the early years are for an entire lifetime of learning and living, and with our help, these future leaders have a very strong start. Would you consider a donation to Africa New Life daycare program? Any donation today helps create an environment focused on nutrition, education, and play for little ones tomorrow. $6 provides a year's worth of clean water for one daycare student. $16 provides a year's worth of vitamins. Come on, guys. Those multivitamins that we're giving our kids, they need them in Rwanda as well. All gifts help these young children grow up. If you're ready to lay the foundation for this healthy life for both children and their mamas, visit africanewlife.org slash RFL podcast to give health and hope this spring. John, you help so many CEOs, people leading major institutions, companies think well about how they're doing it, how they can help people be more efficient, purposeful, meaningful. But in your own home life, I know you have a couple teenagers. We've got some teenagers. There's a major mental health epidemic happening right now in America's youth as well as in adults. And and that sort of showed itself this year. And I wonder for the parents that are listening that are going, you know what? I have listened to the wrong scripts my whole life. Like It's gotten me into these places I'm in now that I didn't want to be and I didn't imagine I would be when I was a, a teenager. What are ways we can help our children think the right scripts early? How can we catch them when we see them having some self-talk that's going down the wrong path? Yeah, well, this, I mean, this happened to me just this week. Um, I think the big thing is you go first. Like when you go first as a parent, you give every kid in the room the gift of going second. Mm. It's hard to go first. Right. It's easier to go second. So um, one of my kids said something sarcastic to my other kid, and I knew where it was coming from. It was coming from the one kid had had their feelings hurt by the other one. So I paused and said, hey, wait a second. Tell her that she hurt your feelings. Like, don't use sarcasm to hide. That's what I, like, that's how I've communicated before with passive aggressive sarcasm. I want you to be able to say, this hurt my feelings when you did this so that she can react and so that you can strengthen the relationship versus divide it with sarcasm. Mm. So a lot of times it's you as a parent going first and and learning learning how to do that and then just being engaged. And the other thing I'd say to every parent is give your kid time. I write books about goals. And so I'll have parents say, I'm 45, I'm loving goal-setting books. How do I get my 15-year-old to get excited about this book? And I always say, well, you gave yourself three extra decades to get excited, and you expect a 15-year-old to feel the same way as a 45. Like, that's so unkind to a 15-year-old. You didn't read this when you were 15, but we have this vision as parents of like, I'm going to give them the 10 books they have to read, and they're going to do book reports, and they'll be amazing. And so just like, no, walk beside them, not walk in front of them and pull them along. Like, where you can walk next to a kid versus in front and drag, it's so much better beside So when you've led as a parent, does that mean even with vulnerability, like you kind of admitting like somebody hurt your feelings or like, yeah, right? Well, so for me, and that's new, I mean, like I I love Chip Dodd and the work he does. Mm -hmm. And so we've been talking a lot about this conversation. So probably probably a month ago, I was on a walk with my buddy Ben. Um, We walk um, every week. And I said, Ben, you know, um, I saw this opportunity that I missed and it made me sad and it made me afraid that I'd never get another one like it. It made me feel like I'd blown it, like I was dumb. And he said, well, if you had taken that opportunity, what would you have more of that you don't have right now? And I thought, that's a good question. And mm-hmm. then he said, if you had taken that opportunity, would you have gone deeper into your ego or deeper into your heart? Mm-hmm. And I didn't need a second to figure that one out. Like I would have gone into my ego. 
And I told him that, and he said, well, if you had, that makes me sad because I don't think you would have valued walks like this, and I would have missed this relationship. Wow. So the thing there is I don't get to receive that gift from Ben unless I'm vulnerable and share the feeling. If I go, everything's cool, I'm going to hustle, I'm going to, what? I, unless I'm honest and create the space for him to give the gift, I miss the gift. So like that's part of, for me, learning how to talk with my kids. You know, I, I read a book once, Death by Suburb. And the guy said he what he wished that he was less angry, but all he learned how to do was apologize better. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I wanted my anger to be completely removed. But the first step was learning to go, wow, I'm sorry I said that. I apologize. Yeah, that's so good. I was thinking about somebody identifying the soundtrack. I think people might be hearing this and they're like, I mean, I have overthought. I, I guess now I'm aware of that, but I'm not sure to hone if there's a bunch of thoughts sure. happening. I'm not even sure to hone what the soundtrack is. Like, what would you take them through? Oh, yeah. Here's a, I have an easy exercise for that. So think about something you want to do. Like, think about a desire. And, and maybe you can't even give yourself permission to desire. And that's, that's the first, whoa, wait a second. But think about something you want to do. You want to write a book. You want to start a business. You want to lose 10 pounds. You want to ask for a raise. You want to ask somebody on a date. Think about something you want to do. And then listen to your reaction. Like soundtracks will pop up. Like I always say, every reaction is an education. Same with an interaction. You get a text from somebody. You have a soundtrack for every person in your life. There's people that we have. We get a text notification. Before you've even read the text, we go, oh, they're going to ask for another favor. I can't believe it. And we have a soundtrack, a broken soundtrack that doesn't strengthen the relationship starts playing. So the first thing I'd say is start with a little bit of self-awareness. And then the other thing is we need community. We're not meant to do this alone. Like we're meant to be in community. So when you can, at your level of bravery or comfort, ask a friend. Say, hey, I'm working on these soundtracks idea. Is there a soundtrack you see me live according to? Is there a soundtrack that you think is playing really loud in my life that I I might be missing? I might not even notice it because it's such background noise. And so I, I think that if we can do it in community, if we can listen to our reactions to situations and go, wait a second, why did I just do that? Like, wait, why did I react that way? What am I, what am I adding to this conversation that's not really there? How often, and my friend Ali Andrews calls it, do we lie for other people? You have an argument with your spouse in the morning, and then all day you lie for them and say things they didn't actually say. And then by the time you come home, you bring all these extra conversations that never even had that you've been overthinking. And so I think you can be really deliberate about listening for your reaction. Yeah. And would that even come out in community when the way you talk about something, you kind of almost have like a phrase or kind of that same chronic descriptor of the thing. Like it's just been a really hard year. And then you realize- It is what it is. Like, realize- that's a broken soundtrack. It is what it is, a broken soundtrack, because there's hopelessness there. Yes. Like, and there's apathy there. Nothing kills resilience like apathy. What's the point? And there's a lot of people this year that have felt that. I mean, I've been saying like the challenge with clarity and time right now is- Three days is firm. Like I have a pretty good sense that three days from now, the thing's going to happen. Three weeks is fuzzy. Three months is fiction. And that has put a lot of people in an awkward place of like, okay, I don't know what to trust. I don't know what to do. And so that's where, I mean, honestly, I would love to have live events that I could go share this book about. But at the same time, I don't feel like the, I feel like the need for this book has never been greater. Mm -hmm. Um, Everywhere I talk to people go, well, here's what we're overthinking. Here's what we're doing. And every time I talk to a CEO before I do a virtual event, because I've been doing a lot, lot of virtual speaking events, 
like for years, one of the questions I ask um, clients is, okay, if you think about a keynote like a spectrum, and on one end is the word instruction, and on one end is the word inspiration, where do you want the keynote to land? Like it's a really simple clarifying question. And I would say the last 10 years, they'd said 70% instruction, 30% inspiration. That's flip-flopped. They're saying 80% inspiration, 90% inspiration, because everybody is in such a low emotional yeah. point. I'm hearing like big CEOs go, our people are asking for counseling. They don't, we didn't even ask them to reach out. They're asking yes. us and saying, it's getting really dark in New York and I was already depressed. Can you can you help me with counseling? So I think 2021 is going to be the year of the heart and we're going to see yes, leaders I'm, lean into that. I like that soundtrack. I'm all about it. I was thinking about what you're saying that is what it is. I mean, there has been a narrative of despair in general and I, I don't want to say it and speak it, but that's just true. It's what I, ca- in fact, I was recently with a group of people and it is what it is, was the phrase that was said about you know, a marriage, about a child, about, you know, something very heartbreaking, very, very heartbreaking. And apathy, like when you think about how do you get to that point of apathy? I think it's because you longed for something and then it still hasn't happened. And it's often beyond your own power to um, it's it's about somebody else as well, right? It's like their story and their choices and their decisions. How how do people come out of that apathy? Because I think from the jump from like, I feel despair and I'm listening to this podcast. I actually want to reach my goals and dreams, but right now I want to just not be sad. I want to not be in despair about this. Like how would they take candles with what you're saying in that kind of next step? I think one of the first things is to say, I feel sad. Somebody the other day asked me, they said, hey, how do you get over imposter syndrome? How do you get over imposter syndrome? And I said, well, I think that's the wrong soundtrack. I think you trade the word over for through because over is a word of perfectionism. It indicates a wall that you've climbed over and you're done. The reality is you go through imposter syndrome. You don't get over despair. You go through despair and that gives you space and space to do it. So for me, I've written seven books, multiple New York Times bestsellers. I still feel like I'm not a real writer some days. I go through imposter syndrome. So if somebody said to me, okay, I got to get over this despair, I'd go, wait, wait, wait. Allow yourself to go through it. Like give yourself the patience to go through it. Even just processing, I feel it and saying it to somebody else so that they can help carry you. And I'm not saying 50 people. I never want to say like, talk to your 100 heart friends. Who has that many? I have a handful. So I I would just say that if we can take the first step of admitting it, sharing it, then we get to start to heal it. Um, But until until we do that, it's really hard to go, give me a formula, give me three steps. Um, you know, make it make it simple. Like you got to share it first. And I think if anything we've learned in the last year is like, who are those handful? I mean, if you're if you're going to quarantine with just a few people, you've got your family, and if you're going to hug a couple more, yeah. you really have yeah. to be. It's a short list. Yeah, you have to be selective and know, and then know that you're committed to one another. And that has been the blessing I think over this season, is that sometimes you can try to be all things to all people and realize you're not really sure who you can call. You're not meant to have a thousand close friends. Like you're physically not designed for that. So, I mean, the thing I'd say there is I've been telling people crisis magnifies kindness. So when I say reach out, it can be the tiniest thing because the little things are worth a hundred times what they were two years ago. 
because we've been isolated. Crisis magnifies kindness. I was running on a trail, huge, huge trail, and I could be socially distant. This elderly gentleman passed me. I'd seen him the day before. And this time when he passed, he gave me a double thumbs up. And that that meant the world to me. That made my day. I told my wife about it when I got home. I'm sharing it on a podcast. Like I've mentioned it in speeches. A year ago, two years ago, I would have been like, who does that? Who does double thumbs? Extravagant. <laughs> One thumb's plenty. But because we've been disconnected, somebody waving at you, like matters. The, the, this phrase, I, like a soundtrack I use, I tell people all the time, when you ask somebody what they need, they become visible and valuable. And that's what everybody wants to know in 2021. Do you see me? Do I matter? When you ask somebody what they need, they become visible and valuable. And that's what we get to do for each other. Yeah. Well, John, I think you mentioning how much fear has been the thing peddled to, to so many in our population. And it's the easy thing to go to. And that the work is to have faith. It's to build faith. Um, final thoughts from you. How do we, how do we build faith in a season when it feels like it's work and it's not as simple as just taking what's being fed to you? Well, I mean, one one practical way. I deleted Twitter from my phone last uh, May. I just couldn't have that much access to that much anger in my pocket. It was yeah. too much anger for my pocket. Yeah. Um, and so. A fascinating study that's in the book um, that they did at NYU, they brought two groups of college students in, and they said, we want you to make sentences out of these word banks. So word bank, make a couple sentences. First group had normal words. Second group had words related to old age. So Florida, retirement, bald, subtle words. And then they said the second part of the test is down the hall, walk down there. And then they secretly timed the people walking. And the people who had been exposed to the old words physically walked slower. That's how powerful the things you're exposed to, the thoughts you put in your head are to your actions. So if somebody said to me, I'm living in fear, I would go, let's see if there's some boom boxes blaring right. fear. What if are you listening you, yeah, to? Yeah, what are you yeah. listening to? Who, Who are you are talking you to? to? What are you digesting? What are you like, what are you putting in there? Because chances are there's something. If you said to me, No, I, I have no news, I have no social media, I I Every one of my friends is positive. I might go, well, that's surprising. But more than likely, you're going to say, I have these 10 voices I follow online. They're all angry. Their motive is clicks. There's like, there's right. a machine right. to it. And mm-hmm. so if we can kind of unplug from that machine in small ways, I'm not saying go on some hundred year sabbatical from social media. I use social media all the time. I still have Twitter on my computer because I'm a, I'm able to, you know, do work with that. I just don't have it in my pocket where I'm just guzzling fear. Yeah. yeah. Well, we thank you for your diligence to tell this story to help people uncover something that was true for your life that's led you to have a better mental health perspective but also accomplish your goals so anybody listening to this you can get soundtracks the surprising solution to overthinking by john acuff anywhere books are sold we hope you'll do that and that it'll encourage you in your journey to create and to create in a way that brings a lot of life to those around you thanks for being with us yeah thanks for having me I hope you enjoyed this time with John Acuff. It's fun always talking with him and getting his insights. And I hope it just encourages you, gives you some really practical ways, some handles in how you're living out your vocational life, how you're thinking about your relationships and your family life. And we hope that uh, you'll continue to uh, invite other people into these conversations. The Rhythms for Life community is just beautiful. There's so many of you from so many different places, perspectives all over the world engaging in these conversations that help us stay emotionally, spiritually, mentally healthy. So thank you for being a part of this. Give us a review. Help us give us feedback on ways we can keep improving and and even guests that you want to hear from. Maybe there are certain topics that you haven't heard us talk about that are really intriguing to you and interesting. Let us know those too. We'd love to hear from you at info at RebeccaLyons.com. Send those recommendations and let us know what you'd like to hear. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful week.